0: attentive to ourselves as loved and needy creatures. These are three kind of spiritual disciplines that help us remember who we are. And specifically, last week we talked about reflection, and it seemed to be something that people uh, responded to, had a lot more questions about, so we're going to re-engage and go a little deeper talking about reflection, what it means to sit and reflect In our rule of life, rule for life, that we are working through as a church, we write this about reflection. Our mission of love takes place amidst change. Our contexts are ever-changing, and we are easily tempted to turn in unhealthy and ineffective directions. We lack wisdom. Reflection can help us with self-awareness, understanding who we are, what we are doing, and how to better serve others. That's what we think God is calling us to as a church, to be people who reflect, who take time to stop and think about that. But why do we do that? Is that just something that we think is a good idea? Is that something that maybe they did in church history? No, we think this is something that the Bible calls us to do from our passage in Lamentations. Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. The Lord has called us to reflect to take time to think about who we are and what we do. We're not meant to live these self-automated lives running to and fro, going from this thing to that thing a million miles an hour, never stopping to reflect. We are called by God to do that, to reflect. And in doing that, we become more human. That's what God's calling us to do that's what Jesus showed us to do showed us what it means to be a real human so the call to reflect to call to be people who take stock of their lives is to remember our humanity to remember what it means to be a person to stop running to and fro look at how the Lord describes us in the book of psalm listen to what he says he says for he knows our frame He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. That's who we are as people, so as humans, so fragile, so temporal on this earth, that we must stop and reflect. You know, we sang a song this morning, and I jotted it down in my notes. It said this, are you empty? Are you thirsty? I think for many of us, we don't even know the answer to that question because we don't take time to sit and reflect. We know the answer to it when a crisis comes, when something bad happens, whether physically, emotionally, relationally, There seems to be like a breaking, and then all of a sudden we sit and we think, oh, yeah. Are you thirsty? Are you hungry? I don't think we as a people in our culture take time to really think about those questions. And that's what a call to reflection does. It helps us to do that. That's the purpose of reflection. Think about what, John writes in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Let me read that again. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. See, the Bible does not only call us to reflect, but it models what reflection looks like. It gives us the tools by which to do that. As we read in Lamentations, test Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. In 2 Corinthians, we encounter this commandment. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. And of course, last week, we looked at the Psalms about how often David and the other authors talk about reflection. David looking inward and crying out to God to help him with this task. We talked about that last week in Psalm 139. Another from Psalm 77 about the benefit that comes when we diligently meditate on the Lord and search after His Spirit. It not only calls us to it, but shows us how to do it. And there's really two great purposes in reflection. Two things that come about. The first is to reveal sin in our life. Now, that doesn't necessarily sound like a very fun exercise to do, but it is an important exercise to do. Reflection is meant to uncover any areas of our life that are not in conformity to Jesus Christ. Walk in the same manner in which he walked. Reflection helps us do that. It reveals if there's any areas of our life in which maybe we are not being obedient. Where we know the right thing to do, yet we fail to do it. And it also reveals places where we, maybe unfortunately, enjoy sinful deeds and things we should not be giving ourselves to. It also reveals areas of complacency, which the Holy Spirit has revealed that an action or an attitude is sinful. But maybe we haven't done anything about it yet. Maybe there's a conversation we've been avoiding. But in reflecting, the Holy Spirit reminds us of that and empowers us to go and do that. It shows us where we are missing it. Now, that's kind of hard. It's kind of difficult. That's why I think a lot of people don't take time to reflect because they know that and I know that deep down inside, if I was to sit down and really think about it, I would probably find a lot of areas out of order, out of a line. But that's where the second purpose comes in. It generates encouragement and delight in our life. Even as we look at ourselves, even as we examine, test, and reflect, and we see areas of our life where there is just kind of, Stubbornness, rebellion, depravity, however you want to call it, resisting God. We also find areas of God's grace. Reflection is not merely an opportunity to see sins and shortcomings, but it's a blessing to see really how far we've come. To see the areas of our life God has poured out His Spirit and led us into areas of obedience and fruitfulness. Self-examination, reflection, it's incomplete if it doesn't rejoice in commandments that have been obeyed and sin that has been put to death. Think about that. Have you ever taken time just to sit and reflect and think about, man, Lord, thank you so much for helping me in this area. Thank you for helping me love my spouse. Thank you for helping me deal with that coworker. Thank you for helping me love my neighbor the way I am supposed to. So yeah, one purpose is we look at areas of our life where we fail, where we mess up, where we don't meet up. And we grieve, and we repent, and we're sorrowful for that. But there's also areas where we can look and say, yeah, look what the Lord has done here. Look at where I was, and now look at how far he's brought me in that. And that leads to rejoicing. That weird combo that Paul talks about, sorrowful yet always rejoicing. We see the broken parts, but we also see all the many victories. So how do we do it? What's the pattern of reflection? So we know kind of the call. We know a little bit of the the benefits, the things that God's calling us to. What's a little bit of the pattern of reflection? It's an important rhythm, vital, I think, and it takes a certain form. Reflection originates and terminates. So it starts and it ends at the gospel. The good news of what Jesus has done for us and what he is doing in the world. Reflection starts there and it ends there. It begins with the good news of Christ's completed work. About his righteousness that has been given to us. About that, God has paid for our sins. God has forgiven them. Jesus has taken the punishment, all the things that have happened because of our sin. God has forgiven us in Christ and given us Christ's righteousness. What does that free me up to do? That doesn't that frees me up to where when I go and reflect, I don't have to do it in a way that I think, okay, am I good enough? Am I a good enough Christian? Am I a good enough this or that? Because of the gospel, I'm already accepted. So I don't have to spend my time reflecting going, okay, did I mess up? Is God going to whack me over the head? Is he going to kick me out? Is he going to throw me out? Is this what's going to go on? No. We reflect knowing that he's already forgiven us. Knowing that we can go into those deep and difficult places and look at them and be offended and mortified by them, but also have hope and joy, knowing that because of Jesus' great love, they have been forgiven. So, we don't necessarily go to it going, okay, where did I mess up? Where am I, a bad little boy or girl? Like, where? you know, we go to it looking for displays of God's power and presence in our life. That we might, as Paul writes in Ephesians, walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. That's what we do. We go to it and say, okay, am I walking in a manner worthy of what I've been called to do? Now, I know I'm probably not going to line up, but Jesus has forgiven me. Jesus loves me, so let me go do it. Having been founded in the gospel, reflection allows the word of God and the spirit of God to come in and do its work. I said this at the beginning, and I think it's worth repeating. We don't do these rhythms to get God to love us. We do them to hear Him say it. In doing these rhythms, in opening up our hearts, in reflecting on these things, we hear God say that He loves us. Even in the midst of failures, even in the midst of all the broken and bad things that we really don't want to look at, we really don't want to reflect on, we really just want to keep running and keep distracted and keep busy, we can do it. Because we know He loves us. And because He's going to meet us with grace in those hard, difficult places. And not just meet us with grace and say, yeah, it's forgiven, but meet us in grace and empower us to be able to walk it out. So, what we do is we search the inner man. We take time to reflect and search the inner man. And The outer man, we cry like David in Psalm 139, as we talked about last week. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. We plead, as in Psalm 26, prove me, O Lord, and try me, test my heart and my mind. We join him in praying, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David, for all of his mistakes and all of his (laughs) really horrible mistakes, like things that we would be ashamed and embarrassed of, still could say to God, search me, know me. How? How could someone who covered up the rape of his daughter, how could someone who murdered someone and took their wife, Have such confidence and say, Lord, search me. Because he knew God's love. He knew the Lord. So if David can do it, then surely we can. Surely we can open up and reflect, knowing that God has great love for us. But just as reflection begins with the gospel, it finishes with it. When we find those difficult places, apathy, when we find disobedience, we just plead Christ's blood over it. Ask and receive more forgiveness through his finished work. We plead his merits and we trust that we are forgiven in him. Thomas Watson, he said this. This was an awesome way to say it. He says that where our obedience comes short, Christ puts his merit into the scale and then there is full weight. When we uncover success, obedience, and zeal, we thank God because of the gospel. When we uncover brokenness and disobedience, we thank God for the gospel, and we plead for it more and more and more. So there is much wisdom in setting aside times and seasons for diligent reflection. We would be very wise people to examine ourselves before we make major decisions or before we enter into a new phase or a new season of life. We are commanded to even reflect and examine ourselves before we partake of the Lord's Supper. That's good to do. And for many of us, those are kind of natural times in which we do that. But the bulk of our reflection comes in the routines of life the regular day-to-day, the setting aside the time through some of the things we talked about last week. Even when we hear God's Word on Sunday or in our Bible reading, we take time to sit and reflect, not going on to the next thing so quick. Our reflection must be a weekly practice, and that's why we as a church are saying we are going to be a people who take as a beginning point, twenty minutes a week of thought for ref- uh, to your church leaders, and as a church leader, that's always hard to do, right? But in Jeremiah six sixteen through seventeen, we read this last week, and I didn't really get a chance to talk about it, uh, but I wanted to talk about it this morning. In Jeremiah six sixteen through seventeen, he says this: "Thus says the Lord: Stand by the roads, and look, and ask for the ancient paths." Where the good way is, and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. We read that last week. We didn't get to really examine the next verse, which I want to do just really briefly with the few moments I have left. Verse 17 I set watchmen over you, saying, Pay attention to the sound of the trumpet. But they say, We will not pay attention. You cannot properly reflect on your own, you have to have the community. See this phrase right here? I set watchmen over you, okay? This is where it gets a little hard, but I'm just going to go for it this morning. Um, the Lord has appointed qualified leaders in the church to help you do this, to help you reflect, to help you think and take stock of your lives. Formally, those comes in the way of elders and deacons, And pastors. In other ways, it could just be a good friend, a community group leader, whatever it is, a person you have some relationship with. But specifically, when it comes to this, to a rule of life, to us saying we're going to be people who take 20 minutes a week to reflect. I'm not some um, authoritative dictator. I don't know if you know me well enough yet, but that is not my style, that is not my leadership style. But there is a sense of authority that pastors carry. And when we as spiritual leaders, as your shepherds, say, you need to stop and reflect on your life, I get a little nervous when people just say, eh, that, sounds, that sounds like good advice, but I'm not going to do it. I put watchmen over you saying, pay attention. This is my... Twelfth year of pastoral ministry. I have sat with a lot of people. I've sat with a lot of families, a lot of couples, a lot of singles. And can I tell you the most common refrain I have heard in pastoral counseling? I don't know how I got here. I don't know how I got here with my kids. I don't know how my marriage got this way. I don't know how I got here in life. That, I would say, out of every ten counseling appointments I have, Eight of them begin that way. Through just maybe a little guidance. Hey, tell me, how did you get to this point where your son or daughter is just, you know, I just don't know. How did we get to this point where you guys are now wanting to end your marriage? You know, to be honest, I don't know. Hear my heart. (laughs) We as pastors and elders have to give an account for how we have shepherded and led you. And we, I speak, are are pleading you take time to reflect on your life. Please take time to sit and reflect on your marriage, on your relationships, on your family relationships, on relationships with your kids, where your kids are at. Take time to sit and reflect on that. If you need help, Jeremy, I don't know. What does that even mean? I'm here all the time. (laughs) Come make an appointment. Come talk to me. I'll invite you in. You can come sit with me while I do it myself. I'll share with you some of the journaling things. We'll talk about the exam and all these things. The Lord has given you watchmen, people who have said to you, brother, sister, reflecting on your life is a good, godly thing. Now, I can't make you do it, but I'm pleading with you to do it. Please. Please. Please, please, please take time to do as the Lord commands. Assess, reflect, and if you need help, come talk to us. Let me pray.